Just when you thought that David Pasternak's acting career had come to an end after his outstanding Dunkin' Donuts commercials in which he (laughs) calls for the referee to check his voicemails for missing calls, Uh, he did that thing where he knitted the little sweater for his Dunkin' Donuts coffee, Uh, but apparently he has some other on-air talents. Here he is, moonlighting as a rinkside reporter in, we believe, Sweden? I want to do an interview with you. Shana Gube. So uh, we had uh, Luke Carlson here, number uh, 19. Uh, what do you think about the first period? Bra första eller helt okej, men vi måste upp med energin och så fortsätter vi därifrån bara. You're starting on a power play the second period. Uh, what is the goal to, to start the first shift? Nu startar inte jag, men de andra får gå in och hänga dit Good luck. Lika till. All right. Now, uh, I have a lot of questions. Just, it was a pretty good presence. I thought he looked and sounded pretty good, except for his yep. chipped tooth. But <laughs> explain to me what was going on with the language there. Can you guys tell me what we just heard? It was either Czech or Swedish or both in English. Okay. What part was English? So, no, I can't explain to you. He asked some English questions. He asked about something the first period. and Was there any Czech in it? I don't think there was any Czech. I think it was all Swedish. Yeah, I think we were checklists. But what I don't really understand (laughs) is... does Was was this in Ontario? No body checking? So does Pasternak speak Swedish? Could he understand what... That guy's name was, I think, Lucas Carlson. Could he understand what Lucas Carlson was saying back to him? It's hard to say because he just kept kind of asking cliche questions. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very confused. Can somebody get in touch with... David Pasternak and do an interview with him. Ooh, let's about get him this on the pod. He did. Let's okay. get him on the pod. All right, we'll see what we can what, do. What you can't see though in that when you listen to that clip is he's not wearing a suit like most ringside reporters. He's like <laughs> in a jacket and hat. Yeah, like he just walked off the street. Well, I think he quite frankly did just walk off the street, and yes. they're like, "Hey, you're David Pasternak. Here's a microphone." <laughs> Sound of Hockey episode 112. We're calling this one the Alex Ovechkin episode. Why are we calling it that, John? Well, he's uh, he's allegedly pretty good at hockey. Okay, um, I've heard and that. he had 112 points in 2007-2008 season, um, mm. which was his oh. third season. So, yeah, he's pretty good. Okay. Pretty Is 112 good. points good? I've yes. heard it's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, it I seems, will say yes. It seems pretty good. All right. Andy confirms. John is checking yes. into it. This is Sound of Hockey. I'm Darren Brown, at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter, joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on the Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2Seattle on the Twitter. And good news, we have graduated from the basement. We are out of quarantine, so we now have full run of the house. So that's exciting stuff. Uh, We are able to cook. We're able to, which we haven't really done. We've still continued to accept (laughs) meals from... You know, my mother and father-in-law, which has been very nice of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's been good to be out of the basement. We are sleeping in a real bed. It's it's all it's all good stuff. So we're how we're are the lakes? Happy. How are the lakes out there? Are they frozen the yet? Lakes are plentiful. Um, I don't know if they're frozen yet because we haven't really left the house. Apparently, COVID is pretty bad these days. So uh, we're yeah. But on the lake, if you're just out there by yourself in the lake in the pond, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I hockey, you I, should be fine. I bet some of them are getting close to frozen, but I don't know that uh, they're quite safe to skate on just yet. Unfortunately, the temperature is going back up. You know what? We don't need to talk about this. Um, we don't have a review to share with you this week, so that's on you, the listeners. But we're going to give you a pass because we know it's been a pretty stressful wow. week and a half. Blaming the listeners. That's that's new. Well, it's not, not really. quite literally the fault of the listeners for not writing a review. Very true. Yeah. 
Uh, we have a nice episode this week, though. Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames joins us, a Spokane native with a very, very interesting story. So stick around for that. That's coming very shortly. Let's start with some of the latest content on soundofhockey.com, the new and improved and awesome soundofhockey.com, which... Uh, I think we've had a pretty great first week of content there. Andy, you wrote about these retro reverse jerseys, reverse retro jerseys, whatever they're called. Tell us about those. Well, all 31 teams teamed up with Adidas to come out with new alternate jerseys. They're they're retro reverse. I think they're reverse retro. Mm -hmm. And so the the main concept was that you would reverse one of your the colors of your jersey and take one of your minor accent colors and make that the main color. And then either that or a combination of an old logo. Some did better than others. Some were really great. Some were were kind of left you scratching your head wondering what the heck they were thinking, <laughs> like the New York Islanders who didn't really mm-hmm. do anything but darken the blue. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so we kind of handed out awards to some of the, some of the, the better uh, entries out there. Uh, I, I, and there's a lot of people accused Darren of, of having influence on this, but he did not. I actually thought the Minnesota Wild had the best reverse retro. Fascinating. They took the old Minnesota North Star jerseys and just slapped their new their new bear logo on it, but changed the colors to be green and gold. I just really like those green and gold colors. It looks really good. Okay. Comically, all the people that I follow on like Wild Twitter hated it. So yeah. I thought that was kind of funny <laughs> of that you thought it was the best. And I saw a lot of other people outside of the Wild Bubble just saying how much they loved that one. So I thought that was really interesting. You, you always hurt the ones you love. Well, that's, yeah, that's on brand for hockey fans, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, I also was like, I really like the Avalanche thing with the Avalanche yep. colors on the Nordiques jersey. But it goes back to that question of like, how would you take that if, mm-hmm. you know, because we asked this question about Whalers fans last year too and the Hurricanes were wearing Whalers uniforms and um, and they did and, the same their, thing. Their reverse retro, yeah. Their yeah. reverse retro is the Whalers uniform. Again, yeah. But you know, if it's, it's if you're tricky. an old Quebec Nordiques fan that's just dying for NHL hockey to come back to Quebec, and you see the team wearing the Quebec, I just I think that would rub me the wrong way, and I don't really understand, you know, how they kind of get off doing that. But um, nonetheless, it looks <laughs> great. I love it. I do think the Nordique fans have uh, a special appreciation with um, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, because they won the Stanley Cup like immediately from after moving and it was still fresh. So I don't think there's like the hate that Hartford has for Carolina. Wouldn't, wouldn't that will. hurt so, more though? Wouldn't that hurt more that you you follow the team, they get they get they start getting good, then they leave, and then they immediately win the Stanley Cup. So yeah, but I think the conditions so. were a little a little more accepted on the departure. Um, they were stolen. They didn't feel like they were stolen. Yeah, it wasn't like a bait and switch type thing. It was like this yeah, is not sustainable. We got we got to move. And you know, a lot of those players obviously played for the Nordiques and then mm-hmm. yeah. uh, won, won a Stanley I, Cup. So yeah. I read somewhere, and I haven't been able to confirm this, but I read that is it, is it possible that the Avalanche still do some things with like youth hockey in Quebec City? Like they still are somehow involved in some of the local charities or, or so. You haven't done the research, but you expect me to do the research to do. To no, I'm just asking out. if any. I'm, I'm just asking if anybody else has heard that. I don't. I, I just read that, but I haven't I've never heard that. I've confirm. never. Heard that. I've never researched yeah. anything in my life, so I can't tell you. <laughs> If that's true, that would help explain it. What are, what are some of the other jerseys you guys like? Okay. Any, anyone uh, do you so, want to comment? How about if we do this? Everyone say your favorite on the count of three, except for Andy, because Wait. you already said what your favorite was. So just okay. John and me, ready? One, two, three. Calgary Detroit Frames. Oh. <laughs> I was Detroit kidding with Red mine Wings. because the Detroit Red Wings might actually be the worst hockey jersey ever made. <laughs> Well, they won an award. <laughs> That's true. Andy gave him an award. I gave him an award. I gave them well, the, is that your practice jersey award? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Because it, it looks like a practice jersey. 
Man, what a swing and a miss there. The Dallas Stars were in the running for that same award, weren't they? Yes, they they were they were nominated as well as the Pittsburgh Penguins, who just kind of went all white and very little you know logo or anything on it. Interestingly, I actually really liked Pittsburgh's. I thought it was pretty true to what they wore for a brief period, you know, in the '90s. Except um, those, I mean, mm-hmm. they they actually went with the theme of reverse retro because the ones that said Pittsburgh across them were black. Um, so they were basically that same uh, thing, but with white now. So I, I think it's actually pretty sharp. Um, it made me think of the, the days of Yarmir Yager and Mario Lemieux, you know, ripping up the Eastern Conference. So um, I thought those were kind of cool. I didn't have a problem with those, but man, I mean, I don't know what Detroit was thinking. Just a gray stripe. Like that's not even one of their colors. <laughs> what, what are they doing? Just one gray man, stripe. I don't know. I don't know. That's It's pretty bad. But at the same time, I'm like, it's so bad. It's good. And then the Kings... How about the Kings? Kings are pretty good. I like good. the Kings. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Kings are pretty sweet. I, I think that could be an argument for their regular jerseys. I, I like that better than their regular jerseys. Yeah, I don't like the home plate on their regular jerseys. Uh, I have a question about the Kings, though, because they have the logo that was worn with like the black and silver Gretzky era yep, jerseys. The Gretzky era, yep. But when they were purple and yellow, they never had that logo, did they? Didn't they have no, just they the crown? crown. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Crown, yep. So it's almost like it's a like still, a mashup of yeah. two different jerseys that they yeah. wore in their history. Yeah. I thought it worked though. No yeah. bad ideas. No bad ideas. No bad ideas. Yeah. Well, I like speaking it. of no bad ideas, what did you think of Darkwing? Uh, first of all, it's oh. Wildwing, and I had to edit that in your oh. story as well because it's not Darkwing. So Darkwing <laughs> Duck is a famed cartoon character of my childhood. Oh, um, okay, I mix yeah. them up. Darkwing Duck, let's get dangerous was the theme song. So Wildwing, I <laughs> I don't have too much of an issue with it i mean they're definitely you know going for the theme and like if you think back to early 90s anaheim ducks you definitely think of that jersey but man they're off the wall i mean it's it's one of those things where like i think busy yeah it was it was such a bad idea when they made those jerseys in the first place that maybe when they go away you don't really need to bring them back under any circumstances You know, my my main issue with them, you have a white logo, a white drawing of a duck on a white background. It just looks unfinished to me. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not great. I don't think I'm it's not great. big on it. I'm sure there's people that hate my opinion on this, but I looked at that one and I'm like, really? That's the that's the jersey they picked to go back to. I thought yep. that was one of the more forgettable uniforms in the history. You know, of what NHL. was funny about that is when the NHL started, say, say the NHL tweeted these all out uh, Monday morning and they had they, they just had one big, long thread. But the very first tweet, like, here they are, was that one, that mm-hmm. the Anaheim one. That was the one that they used as their, their here they are, their, their kind of welcome tweet. I was well, a little surprised they that that was the one they picked. to be fair. Is that what they did? Yes. Okay, I didn't even pay that much attention to it, but I just <laughs> thought, really? Switch it up. <laughs> anyway, uh, I do. I will say this. On the whole, I thought... They should have done reverse order of finish. Yeah, maybe. I thought the vast majority actually did a pretty good job with this. I was pleasantly surprised yeah. by a lot of the jerseys that came out. Essentially, this is the dog days right now, right? Like, we're, we're at a point in the off-season mm-hmm. here, the quote-unquote off-season, where this would theoretically be August and regular year for us. And there's no news, right? And they figured out a way to release this at a time when there is no hockey news and they were able to make some news and get a lot of people talking about hockey and buying merchandise and all that stuff. So um, kudos to the NHL on how they pulled it off. Kudos to the teams that made good jerseys. Anti-kudos to the Detroit Red Wings and teams like that. And the New York Islanders. (laughs) New York Islanders. Ah, man. It's the same jersey. (laughs) Yeah. Other stuff we have going on on soundofhockey.com. We have profiles of every team and who we think they might protect in the expansion draft from the Seattle Kraken. So that's going to be an ongoing thing for the next couple of months. And then, John, you did a story about some ticketing ideas. Why don't we chat about that a little bit? Yeah, so the idea or the business model is really stolen from the hit Broadway show Hamilton. 
And for those unfamiliar, it's Hamilton and Broadway shows are, you know, tickets are outrageous and such high demand that they wanted to make sure it was accessible. And Hamilton's got this big overarching theme about accessibility and representation. Um, So I don't want to downplay that. But for this particular component of it is you enter a lottery two days before a show you want to go to. And the day of, you know, they pick the winners and you get a chance. And it's like 10 or $20 to go see a Broadway show that usually costs probably a couple hundred bucks. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And it's a good way to broaden and get people in. And I've always thought that that would be a killer way to appeal and broaden the fan base of a hockey team. And not just Seattle, but I, I, in context of Seattle, with so many tickets, season ticket demand, and all the wait list, people on the wait list, it'd be a cool way to get people to check out the game where they might not want to kind of fork up second secondary market prices. So I think they should do something almost identical to it, where they people put in for the lottery and hope they get a chance to get in that building. And it might be crappy seats, but at 20 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. The chances are you, you really hook them and become hockey fans. They'll probably buy some merch or buy some food. So you get a little bit of that money back maybe that you would be foregoing for just selling that ticket. So I think it's a unique opportunity that more sports teams should do, like that are in high demand. Uh, what do you guys think? What are your I, what are your? I think it's amazing. I, I love, I've, I've never heard of that before with Hamilton, but I, I like that idea. And I like the way in your story you made a point about you know, a, a, a fan who's curious about it isn't going to pay a hundred bucks to maybe like it, right? They're, they're not going to just going to make that commitment, yeah. but they might for 20 yeah. or 25 and go see it and find, see what they think of it. And I think you it's a really good way to hook new fans and you're right. Maybe they don't come back to another game that year, but maybe down the road they do, or maybe they make sure they watch the games on TV. Then your then your advertisers, your sponsors are, are getting in front of them. So I think it's just it's a win win situation. You know, I actually am a person who has taken advantage of rush tickets on Broadway a number of times in my in my adult oh, nice. life. So um, I can tell you that it really is an incredible program. And um, like I saw the Book of Mormon with its original cast for twenty bucks. Essentially, what happened there was rather than doing a lottery, you had to show up and just be at the box office when it opened so usually there was like a line of people so you'd plan it out a few days in advance you'd you'd show up you'd stand in line for two or three hours then the box office would open and you know the price you paid was essentially your time of standing there and waiting for the tickets plus mm-hmm. the 20 bucks yeah right um and yeah. then the, you know the seats would be like front row so it was a little uncomfortable because you're at an angle and you can't see everything 100 percent, or it would be like last row of the balcony um but i mean you're seeing a you're Broadway not going to complain show. about it. You're not yeah. going to complain. Yeah, you're, you're paying looking, twenty bucks, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's incredible. And actually, we we even entered that lottery for Hamilton a number of times too in New York, but but we didn't get it. So um, we did see the show, but we ended up paying full price, which is incredibly expensive. <laughs> um, one other thing I thought of is that when you know when the Minnesota Wild first started up, their demand was super high, and I remember as a kid uh, they had a program their first season also that they called Rush Tickets. Uh, where basically any tickets that went unclaimed by the box office at the end of the first period would go on sale for something like that, like 20 bucks, and they'd be good seats. The downside of that, obviously, was that you had to go to the arena not really knowing if you were going to get a ticket, and you didn't get in until the end of the first period. So you missed a third of the game. That system was cool because that was a way for, you know, a, a kid like me to get into games, but mm-hmm. you missed a third of the game, right? So it's like 
Yeah. You know, you're not really getting the full experience. You're missing all the intros, all the stuff. So um, I liked that idea in theory, but they did away with it pretty quickly. And I, I see why. So I don't want them to do that. But I, I agree with you, John, that there needs to be some way to to get more people in the building. And I think what you came up with here is a is a pretty solid idea. Yeah. And, and the whole digital world now, right, that we live in where like as much as waiting in line or waiting outside the box office. Yeah, that's fine. But why not like engage with the fan by having them log into the app and submit? It, you know, and maybe they have to check if they won or something like that. Like you can get engagement there without making somebody have to stand outside and hope that they get in, right? So, I mean, th- there's certain some tweaks and some things you could do, but like I basically just ripped it off right from Hamilton. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> like I'm creating an idea, but it's just kind of taking something that worked really well there and, and expanding it to sports. One devil's advocate argument for you is I feel like if you do do all of it digitally, I think that the chances of winning would become astronomically difficult because when we entered the Hamilton lottery, we actually went in person. So that must have been the earlier days of it. Um, So we went in person and put our names in like a bucket and then they called out winners and everybody crowded around and the winners cheered and high fived and whatever. Um, So I I think that there's something to be said for that because, you know, when it gets to be the, the digital thing and you can enter every day or whatever. And maybe there needs to be rules around that. How many times you can enter the lottery? I don't know. I think there's some things to work yeah. through because if it gets to a point where there's, you know, 10,000 people putting their names in for 50 tickets, then it kind of becomes a losing battle on that front too. And more of a, a yeah. negative for the fans. I mean, I, I gotcha. There's just ways to solve that problem off the cuff. They could, you have to claim it within the hour and then it just kind of, because so if somebody doesn't like claim it within an hour of getting awarded, it goes to the next group of 50. Mm-hmm. And so it expands the opportunity a bit for people not just stuffing, if you will, the, the ballot box, if you will, you know? Sure. Yep. And we all know about stuffing the ballot box and how much <laughs> yeah. drama Great. that Let's can talk cause. about that. Should we talk about that? <laughs> no, let's instead move on to our interview with Derek Ryan. Now, welcome on to Sound of Hockey, a center for the Calgary Flames. He scored 51 goals and 85 assists in four full seasons and change in the NHL between Carolina and Calgary. He also played junior hockey locally for the WHL's Chiefs in his hometown of Spokane, Washington. Welcome to the show, Derek Ryan, and thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. We are very happy to have you on. I know uh, John has been singing your praises for a long time, and uh, he's been uh, very much following your career closely, which is an interesting career. Um, but I want to start with a, a pretty tough question for you here. So uh, we're going to take you back February 1st, 2020, uh, a game that will live on in infamy between your Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, now, this was a game where even the goalies fought, and the stat sheet shows zero penalty minutes for Derek Ryan. How do you explain yourself on that? <laughs> Uh, I'm not too much of a bruiser, so I don't know how much explanation is <laughs> needed there, but uh, I don't think I got caught out when uh, most of the uh, sure the charades were going on, we'll say. So I uh, I just got to watch a lot of it from the bench. Yeah. I mean, what was what was it like playing in that game? I know you guys were coming off of that game where uh, I think it was Riddick like, threw his stick up in the air in celebration, and so obviously there was something that was going to happen in that next game, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think that a lot of the storylines like that kind of get blown out of proportion a little bit by the media, which is fine. That just kind of hypes up the games and gets the fans more involved, which is totally the purpose of the media, I guess, and all that kind of stuff. But (laughs) as a hockey player, 
in a long hockey season. You said, what, this is February at this point? Yeah. Yep. So you're grinding through a long NHL season, travel, and a ton of games. And so you're in the middle of this season. And the Battle of Alberta is what it is. It's an awesome, fun experience to play in. But once the puck drops, it's, it's kind of just another game. You know, you have all the extracurricular events with the media and the scrums and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're playing for two points in against the division rival. And that's, that's what's on everyone else's mind that's playing the game anyways, in my opinion. So it's less about, you know, is Matthew Kachuk going to get Cassian? Is Cassian going to get revenge? Whatever. All these storylines that you hear are more just portrayed in the media, whereas the players are just trying to play the game. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll stop asking you about that then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But here's another good question that I think will really get things rolling. So uh, obviously you were part of the bubble experience. And I'm just curious because I I know the brochure uh, was, uh, you know, showing people fly fishing and playing golf every day and things like that. How much fly fishing did you actually do in the Edmonton bubble? You must have done some research because I am a fly fisherman and I was hoping to do some fly fishing, but uh, no, I I am uh, disappointed to say that I did zero fly fishing in the bubble and uh, <laughs> it would have been fun to do some uh, in and around the Edmonton area though, for sure. Yeah, I, I actually did not know that you're a fly fisherman, so that's that's a lucky guess, but um, I know that, that was one of the ongoing jokes with the NHL players was just how things got a little bit misconstrued as to what you were going to be able to do and what you really could do. But um, anyway, I do want to talk a little bit about your hockey journey because we, we know it's been a unique one compared to a lot of guys who play in the NHL or who have played in the NHL. Um, and obviously we know gr- that you grew up in Spokane, which, you know, we're curious, how does hockey become such an important part of your life growing up in uh, in Spokane? Yeah, I mean, Spokane, the hockey community is not huge compared to maybe some bigger markets in the U.S. or for sure in Canada. But at the same time, I feel like it's pretty decent size and, uh, I guess as most young kids get into hockey because their family or their parents or their dad or whatever played or loved it or something like that. And it's no different for me. My, my dad, who just was a recreational hockey player and hockey fan, you know, wasn't, didn't play at a high level or anything, but he, he loved the game and he passed it along to me, got me on skates at a young age of, I think I was on my, on, or skating for my first time at three, first team when I was four or five. Um, so like I said, he passed his love on a love of hockey onto me at a young age. And, and, uh, we grew up Detroit Red Wings fans. So we were always rooting for, you know, Steve Eisenman, Sergei Fedorov, Pavel Datsuk back in the day. And just one of those household traditions where, you know, that love of hockey was just, uh, growing in, in me at a young age. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, you know, the Spokane chiefs are, are there, are they a big deal for kids in Spokane the way they would be for maybe like a, maybe a kid in medicine hat, right. To get to play for, uh, the WHL, like, would that be a, a huge, a huge thing for, um, a youth hockey player in Spokane to eventually play in the WHL? I think so. I think that especially, um, when I was a kid, so we're talking, you know, 25 years ago or so, the Spokane Chiefs were kind of, I mean, in the young kid's eyes, kind of like the NHL, right? That's who you grew up idolizing. I remember idolizing some of the players back then, whether it's Brandon Cote, Kevin Sawyer, you know, all these uh, big names, Ray Whitney, that, um, like I said to me, were like NHL players. That's kind of the dream. And it was pretty rare, if not basically never, an occurrence where a Spokane raised player ended up playing for the Spokane Chiefs. So 
definitely an organization and players and team that I, I grew up idolizing, watched a lot of games with my dad there at the old Boone Street barn. <laughs> yes, definitely a place that uh, the, the Spokane Chiefs, the love for them grew in me at a young age as well. And you end up playing three full seasons with them uh, all through your 20 year old year. Uh, unfortunately, you didn't get drafted. Was was during while you were in Spokane? Was was getting drafted and getting to the NHL still like the big dream? And did you think that was going to happen at some point? Yeah. So I guess so. During my time with the Chiefs, I was an 18 year old rookie, so kind of a late bloomer, which is mm-hmm. kind of an underlying theme in my entire hockey career. I guess <laughs> my hockey journey. Yeah. But uh, being an 18 year old rookie, I think I was nominated for like Western Conference Rookie of the Year. Had a pretty decent year, but wasn't super high on any of the draft lists or anything like that and contextually wise you have to keep in mind that this was you know again 20 years ago or so 15 years ago at least where the NHL was pretty pretty focused on big heavy guys so a a smaller skilled medium to high point guy in the Western Hockey League wasn't really on a lot of radars for the NHL so for me I mean the NHL is obviously a dream and in every hockey player, I think, no matter what level you're at. But it wasn't like I was living and dying by that NHL draft. I wasn't expecting to get drafted. And, and when I wasn't drafted, I wasn't super surprised at the same time. And so after that last year in Spokane, you, you did a little bit of pro hockey, right, with the UHL uh, before choosing to go to the University of Alberta. Uh, what, what went into yeah. that decision? Was it tough to – did you feel like you were giving up on pro hockey? What, was, what kind of was that decision like for you? Yeah, good question. It's tough at that point. I think as we go through this journey, you'll see there's a couple of different crossroads that occur. This was probably the one, the first one where it's a really hard decision for anybody, especially at, you know, whatever, 20 years old, where you're trying to make a decision whether to go play pro. I think it was always easier for me, mostly because I didn't have a ton of NHL interest or even American Hockey League interest. I think if if a hockey player at that age has interest at that level, it makes the decision a little bit harder or maybe even a lot harder. But um, since I was really only getting interest from, you know, some of the lower minor league pro in, in North America, you know, the East Coast Hockey League or something like that, it really wasn't too big of a draw for me. Education was always super important. So I knew I wanted to at least use a portion, if not all of my Western Hockey League scholarship and, and get an education. So in order for me to continue to play hockey and get an education at the same time, I had to go to Canadian University. So that made that decision, I guess, a little bit easy. But at the same time, as you mentioned, you kind of feel like you're giving up on that NHL dream, uh, Canadian University hockey, although it's extremely underrated. And I feel like the hockey is really, the hockey level is really high. It's just not, it's just not a direct path to the NHL anymore, like the Western Hockey League is. So you kind of feel like you're giving up on the dream a little bit, which I felt the same. Was that Alberta team, there are powers now in CIS, right? Were they were they that level when you were there? Yeah, that was a big draw for me, to be honest. Uh, my three, three and a little bit years with the Spokane Chiefs, had a lot of fun. It was awesome to play at home, mm-hmm. but we never really had that good of a team. So I was kind of sick of losing, to be honest. I, <laughs> I wanted to go to a team where I could win and and have some success and, you know, have that winning culture embedded in my, my hockey career a little bit more. So the U of A, yeah, I think when I went there, it's the same, it was the same as it was, as it is now where, Mm -hmm. you know, they have the most national championships in the country. They, they go to the national tournament every year. They, they're favored to win their conference every year, that sort of thing. So that was a huge draw for me for sure. And you did end up getting your degree. Uh, Obviously you're not using that. Do you get a lot of grief from like your dad or other family members that you're not using your degree? (laughs) 
if I wasn't playing in the NHL, I probably would. But uh, I think that they're pretty happy to see that I, I'm using my talents in a, in a way that's uh, beneficial, I guess. And, it, worked, uh, it worked out for They're me. happy for me. Yeah, it worked out for me. But I did get my science degree, and my nickname is Doc, even though it's completely unrelated to my my education so it's, uh, maybe someday i'll get to use it so post-college you uh you head over to hungary to play in the austrian league first off i need to know how to pronounce that that first team you played for what was what's the team name <laughs> yeah that took me like three or four months to figure out how to pronounce that for hervar it's about 45 minutes outside of budapest nice john repeat okay. it go ahead and repeat it <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll play it again on the, on the pod. It's, it's a tough one. It's going to take you guys a while. You catch the hair bar. Yeah. So uh, we obviously don't see a lot of Austrian leagues out here in the U.S. How, how's the atmosphere out there? Yeah, it's honestly really good. I, I was on a podcast the other day, and I got asked the question, you know, how is it like to play in a not a typical hockey market like Hungary or Austria or something like that? And to be honest, the, the fans there were – really rambunctious, rambunctious, really loud, really avid, you know, recognized throughout the city and, and that sort of thing. So I actually wouldn't call it too much of a non-traditional hockey market, even though to us North Americans, it might seem that way. So it was actually really good. They was a you know, smaller rink with only a few thousand fans, but they, they packed the place. They were loud and, and uh, you know, kind of like a typical soccer uh, fan environment where everybody's standing the whole game, clapping, cheering. They got the drums right behind the bench and that kind of stuff. So it was pretty, pretty wild. When you were choosing to play over there, did you have many options? Like, were there other options you could have explored, or was it like it was the only kind of team that came calling at the time? There were a couple of other teams in different leagues, but you know, us North Americans don't really have a ton of exposure to the European leagues, but. Just a, a brief summary there. The Austrian league's actually pretty good. So for me to get an opportunity to play in that league, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, okay, this league's actually pretty good, and you can end up making pretty decent money in a league like this. So uh, the connection there was that the team that signed me, the head coach was the University of Alberta alumni. So uh-huh. as in most things in life, you're networking, and people who you know is uh, how things work out. And so I was able to get a, a pretty decent start in Europe by playing in the Austrian league and not having to start in the, like a lower league. And so you uh, you play a couple more years in the Austrian league, and then you parlay that into uh, the Swedish league uh, for one year. And I heard a fun story about you negotiating um, your incentive bonuses in the Swedish league. Oh, wow. We're, I'm interested to hear where you heard that story. I haven't talked about that in a while. Yeah, I don't I'll have to think about it here. Yeah, so I think in most, the most contracts in Europe, I guess there's some in the NHL too, where their performance bonus laden, where, you know, if you score X amount of goals or X amount of points, then you can get more money or whatnot. And my agent, you know, who as any good agent has high expectations and high belief in me was negotiating some pretty good performance bonuses. And I remember the team just saying, you know, we got to a certain amount of points and they're like, ah, well, we don't need to put that in the contract because if we do that, if he scores that many points, then he'll be in the NHL next year. And, you know, my agent was like, well, let's put it in there. Who cares? And I ended up (laughs) exceeding that point bonus, you know, long story short, I got those point bonuses and was in the NHL shortly after that. But uh, I guess it was good that I, my, 
my agent believed in me and uh, made those bonuses be put in the contract. So you do put together a pretty great uh, season in that Swedish league and you end up winning the MVP award. Um, now, I know that that's the golden helmet. Is is there a physical golden helmet like there is in the Finnish league or am I just making that up in my head? Nice. Good question. Yeah, it's in my, it's in my basement right now and I'm not interested. <laughs> See, now that was, that was what I was wondering was because I think if you win that thing, then you actually wear it in the league, right? The following year or is that is that wrong am i conflating things you're confusing things a little bit so there's certain leagues like sweden i think finland too you're right where if you're the leading scorer then you actually wear you know an actual golden helmet Got i think it. in the swiss <laughs> league you have like there's flames on your jersey so you know, may as well be a target on your back right, <laughs> right. so yeah. i think so in the swedish league the golden helmet just it's like the player voted mvp so the ted Lindsay, i guess for the nhl would be the <laughs> the comparison there but they actually give you a golden helmet and uh you know for me at this point in my career it was a pretty big deal because there's some pretty big names that have won that golden helmet mm-hmm. before i think i don't know henrik lundquist matt zuccarello a couple of pretty you know pretty big names that won that so it was a pretty cool honor for some you know some cis university chump to win <laughs> you ever you ever pop that on for practice or anything like that in, uh, like here in, in the NHL? oh man i should have it has like its own little case and little bag that it's in downstairs i haven't i haven't looked at it in a while but i have to uh, bust it out or put it on my son or something there you go, there you go. so uh you end up back in north america uh, after that with carolina uh did you get other NHL offers or was it just the Hurricanes? Uh, you mentioned you had that great season. Did you start hearing from NHL teams at that point? Yeah, so we talked a little bit earlier about how the NHL dream kind of got, I don't know, put on hold or even mm-hmm. just thrown away when I made that decision to go to Canadian University. And the NHL dream really didn't come back onto the radar until after that year in Sweden where I had a really good season, a lot of success. Um, that league's you know, pretty highly scouted. It's one of the top three or four leagues in the world. And um, after that year, I had a couple of different teams that were interested. Washington was one of them. Mm. There were a couple more, Colorado. And to be honest, Carolina was kind of late getting into the action, I guess you could say. Bill Peters called me one day and said they were interested. And, you know, we come to another crossroads, right, in this journey where I have to make a decision on which team I want to, co- which team I want to come back to North America and, and try to play for. There's a lot of variables that go in that decision. Um, contextually, you have to understand, you know, at this point, I kind of carved out a pretty good career in Europe, you know, making really good money, more money than I can make in, in the minors in North America. And so I'd have to take a pretty serious pay cut <laughs> to sign a two-way contract to come back in North America. And and to be honest, I was pretty, pretty against um, doing anything like that. You know, my pride mm. got the best of me at that point. I wanted to continue to play in Europe and just, you know, do the best over there. But uh good thing I was surrounded by good people. My my wife was huge influence on me, my family, you know, my parents and my sister and whatnot. Um just kind of brought me back down to earth and made me realize that this this was probably my one chance to play in the NHL and after having gone through this long journey so far, it hadn't even ended yet at this point, but to be able to play in the NHL was a pretty real thing and a pretty cool thing. So luckily they were able to convince me to swallow my pride a little bit and uh, take a chance and on a two-way contract and come back and try to make it to the NHL. So you started in Charlotte in the AHL that year, but you did get into six games in the NHL. And after all you've been through, what was that first game like uh, as a rookie in the NHL for Carolina? 
Yeah, I mean, if you want to pick one <laughs> one moment, right, in the journey that really sticks out, it's probably that one. You know, the whole year I basically spend in Charlotte in the American Hockey League, again, taking a pay cut to be there, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of being frustrated, not getting my chances in the, in the NHL, other guys getting called up before me, whatever it is, all these things happening, kind of going through a little bit of a, a low point in my career maybe just mentally, I guess. I think Carolina was out of the playoffs by a little bit. They end up trading Eric Stahl and maybe even a couple more guys to open up a couple of spots. Eventually get that that call that I'm going to play in my first NHL game, which, I mean, that's every player's dream. But Mm -hmm. here I am at 28 or 29, whatever I was, having played in the Western Hockey League, the Canadian University, to (laughs) Sikas Fehervar, Hungary, to Austria, to Sweden, to the American (laughs) Hockey League. And now finally... To play in the NHL, I mean, talk about a, a cool moment. Say so we panicked to put together some flights for my sister and my dad <laughs> to fly in from Spokane, and uh, my wife and our our son at the time to fly in from Charlotte to where they're all going to New Jersey. That's where I played my first game, and uh, yeah, I just remember looking around. I was in the starting lineup, looking around the arena, seeing all the bright lights, the cameras, you know, this all these things that you picture yourself being in you know a million times as a kid playing street hockey out front or whatever it is and and for it to culminate in this one moment it uh it was pretty special and then i ended up scoring a goal in my first game too so that's uh that's kind of the icing on the cake there where just uh, all the emotions for me and i'm sure for my family in the stands were were uh at a max and a pretty cool moment not not only for me but for my whole family where do you have that puck from that goal yeah, that's that's in the house. That's in a big <laughs> plaque with the uh, the first goal puck and uh, the first, I guess, the NHL game sheet has my name. You know, first nice. goal and awesome. all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, that's something to hang on to for sure. So what's featured more prominently, that puck or the golden helmet? <laughs> Definitely the puck. Yeah, I, I need to get the helmet out. I, if you have any uh, Swedish hockey league listeners, they'll be mad at me. So I'll have to get <laughs> yeah. the helmet out more. <laughs> I've recently heard head coaches describe you as doing a lot of the little things right um, that don't always get noticed by, you know, uh, fans or even media types. I take that as the old cliche, a two-way player. And have you always thought of yourself as a two-way player or are there adjustments you've made in your career to kind of make sure you're contributing on both sides of the puck, as they say? Uh, Yes and no. I feel like I've always kind of tried to focus on being a good two-way player, but I guess I'm a firm believer and everything happens for a reason. So I feel like every step of the way, you know, if you kind of break it down, I was able to change and adapt and learn, uh, whether it was Canadian University into, into playing pro hockey in Austria. The Austrian League is pretty offensive, pretty open-ended, a lot of two-on-ones, three-on-twos. So I was really able to harness my offensive game there. You know, I played with some skilled guys and was able to create a lot of offense, score goals, uh, create plays, all that kind of stuff. And then going from the Austrian League to the Swedish League is a huge transition, way different. The Swedish Hockey League is super defensive. Um, the goalies are bigger, way better. Defensemen are bigger, stronger, harder to get around. I always joke around and say that a Swedish Hockey League game that ends one to nothing is like the best game ever in Sweden. They <laughs> love that. They think that's, that's awesome. And that's just a way, way different from the Austrian League, whereas the Austrian League, they think it's the best game ever if it's 7-6 or 6-5 or something like that. So, so I had to adjust, you know, there, a big adjustment to be able to adapt my game to way more of a two-way centerman, way more importance on face-offs in the Swedish League. Um, 
way more importance on being able to be structurally sound in your own end and structurally sound through through the neutral zone. And I'd say, you know, as a whole, through all of Europe, the European game's significantly different than North America, just because of the size of the ice is so much bigger, that I was able to continue to, to develop my offensive game, obviously had an outstanding year there and scored a lot and made a lot of plays, had a lot of chemistry with my line mates, but, you know, continued to, uh, to develop offensively there as well. And so as you move from the Swedish league to the American Hockey League, which I said before, huge transition there from European hockey to North American hockey. And mm-hmm. if you've ever watched an American Hockey League game, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. There's a lot of younger guys there. The structure there is not very good. It's almost easier to play in the NHL in terms of the structure just because guys know where they're supposed to be. They're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> And whereas in the American League, guys are just trying to run around really fast and, and look good and, and, you know, knock people's heads off just to try and stand <laughs> out and yeah. get the call of the NHL. So that was a huge adjustment there to be able to, change again, change my game and be able to find ways to have success on both sides of the puck. And, and then obviously as you go into the NHL, just you have the best of the best and then you have to do whatever you can to help the team to be successful in order to, to stick around. So. Uh, as as you look at all those steps in the journey, I had to adjust and adapt and and learn different things, whether it was face-offs or more defensive structure. And so I think my journey in itself really helped mold me into the player that I am today. And so with that in mind, just listening to you describe it gives me chills. But do you think you make the NHL if you if you try to make a run at pro instead of going to Alberta? Yeah, for college? I mean that's a really good question. That's a question that I ask myself almost every time I. I reiterate this or retell this story. And I mean, you could ask that question at almost every step. Do I make the NHL? If I, if I decide not to play for the Spokane Chiefs and I go try to go NCAA, um, you know, do I make the NHL if I go try and play minor pro after playing in the junior leagues or college or whatever? Do I make it to the NHL if I decide not to go to Sweden or do I make the NHL if I decide not to go swallow my pride and come back to North America on a two-way yeah. contract or whatever. I talked about crossroads before, and there's literally like four or five or six of them throughout this whole journey where if I, I make one small different decision, then who knows where I am now. Yeah, and those crossroads are pretty big. They're not like like little simple decisions. It's, it's, <laughs> those were pretty major decisions. So Life-altering so, uh, decisions. Man, I, yeah. love, I love hearing about your story, and I'm really excited for people to hear it that maybe haven't heard it yet. Now, we talked a little bit about earlier, you know, Spokane isn't exactly a hotbed for hockey, but it has created a bit of a pipeline with you, Tyler Johnson, Yamamoto, and, you know, even, you know, Bear Hughes getting, getting drafted this year. How do you think Spokane Spokane's able to produce elite hockey players. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's a hotbed for elite hockey players yet, but it's definitely <laughs> trending to be more so, which is which is huge and which is a part of the reason why I'm super excited for uh, the NHL to come to Seattle. I just I know that's going to have a, a great effect on the hockey community, not only in Seattle but the entire Pacific Northwest, the Inland Northwest, and and Spokane specifically. So, as young players have had more and more legitimate NHL role models to look up to, whether it's myself or Tyler Johnson or now Kyler Yamamoto and Bear Hughes, you know, their, their interest level is just going to continue to increase as they see other guys have success. And, you know, it's also a part of the reason why I, I like to join these things too, do podcasts, do interviews all the time, just to try and, and spread my story. I think it's, it's cool and it's really inspiring for young hockey players to hear 
you know, there's other ways to the NHL than the, the pretty scripted routes that, that most players tend to abide by or most people tend to talk about. So I think that as these avenues are explored a little more often and you can you can get more interest in players to go different places and just continue to harness their their skills and get better and uh you know what if you're good enough and if you're you're tenacious enough and you're you're willing to do the work then i think you can make it no matter where you go awesome that's good advice for kids out there i think as a a 33 year old i feel like i should put the skates back on and give it another try but (laughs) i don't know i i think my time has passed but 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 you're definitely it's an inspirational story true example of, of what can happen if you if you just keep pushing and just keep fighting and um, one day you can achieve your dreams. And hey, next time you play against the Edmonton Oilers, I would like to see at least a couple of penalty minutes from you, okay? <laughs> All right, I'll try to slash somebody or something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's. here's a, a quick tip for you. You hack a guy in the back of the ankles, right? Start the big... Uh, the big brouhaha, and then you just get off the ice and, and let the, the other guys do the work. Usually I have big Milan Lucic on my wing, so I'm go. usually pretty uh, pretty well taken care of. <laughs> <Safe>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, Derek Ryan, thank you so, so much for doing this, and uh, we will definitely be watching this this uh, this upcoming season and beyond. So best of luck to you, and, and thanks again. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you again to Derek Ryan for joining us. I think that was a, a pretty cool interview. He, man, John, you were not kidding about his story. It is uh, it is something to behold. I mean, just the route that he took to get to the NHL is almost shocking when you hear about everything that he went through yeah. to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It took I him mean, nine years, was, right? Nine, ten years. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, what a journey, right? And I, I've heard it before. And He's probably been on our list for over a year to try to get him mm-hmm. on. And uh, the timing worked out and really excited. And thanks for the Calgary Flames for giving us the opportunity to interview him. He was awesome. Yeah. Uh, we now move on to our segments. And our first segment is everyone's undisputed favorite segment. What? Undisputed. Goalie gear corner. What if I had said something other than goalie gear corner there? Because you guys both just freaked out. Like, what? Like, what if I was like, oh, the undisputed (laughs) favorite weekly one-timers? Then you guys would have felt really dumb. I should have done that. (laughs) Anyway... You can't tell us your master plan before you uh, unveil it. Right. Our goalie gear corner this week comes from Linus Allmark. Now, what I love about this is that you may recall from our interview with Andrew Allen that Linus Allmark was the guy he he always called out as having, you know, the best equipment and he was super into it and they'd text back and forth with the latest and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so Linus Allmark's newest design is out. Uh, looks like he is gone with it's it's again a Bauer setup. What's what's strange is that he did not go with like the newer version. He went with the Vapor, which I guess he must be used to. Yeah, I found that strange. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I thought that too. I was like, wow, man, the Vapors. Uh, but <laughs> shut up. It, they printed like some almost like a marble look on them, so they it looks like they have cracks in the pads, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then there's just kind of a simple. Buffalo Sabres logo at the top. So they're cool. They're not my favorite pads ever, but I, I thought it was interesting that Allmark, who we know is is such an aficionado of new goalie pads, uh, would have his stuff come out and thought we should chat about it. So there you go. I like them. Yeah, all right, cool. All right, good. And yeah. that wraps up our goalie gear corner. We now move on to our weekly <laughs> one-timers. Whoops. Our first weekly one-timer. Whoops. Artemi Panarin has appeared in Esquire, Russia, doing a layout of uh, some interesting fashions. And, you know, I'm not a fashion guy. (laughs) I don't claim to be a fashion guy. But I got to tell you, his look with the leather jacket 
uh, loafers and a pair of gray sweatpants. Woo! <laughs> that's that's pretty hey, don't good. knock it till you try it oh the COVID what, would you, what would you call that look what's 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 the name for that look that's the cousin eddie shitter is full look i think no 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 <laughs> that's that's i'm on a zoom call look yeah oh yeah there i like go. that yeah work from home looks casual. business on the top yeah no I, yeah, for some reason i was i was thinking about you know it looks like the outfit that you like throw on when you need to go outside and you're like not ready to go outside you know you're like oh i gotta <laughs> like you woke up in the morning yeah yeah i gotta go run out and meet the mailman or something right and i go like, walk the dog in the morning mm-hmm. and you're wearing your sweats like, i'll just throw on this mailman. leather jacket that's here what shoes am i gonna put on oh these leather loafers these will be fine <laughs> Whatever's closest to the door. Yeah. But again, what do we know about style and fashion? Uh, apparently not much because uh, this is... This, not as much as Russian Esquire. No, this is the yeah. precipice of men's fashion right here. So our next weekly one-timer. No Ivy League hockey this year as a result of COVID. There's been a lot of other cancellations and delays and all this stuff. Uh, and I think that's all we have to say about that. Am I correct? Yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, pretty okay. much. Um, yep. Now, w- one thing to consider is Ivy League is not like a low end league. There's a lot, a lot of good hockey yeah. players in the Ivy League, and that mm-hmm. is that's pretty bad for their development. Yeah, and technically, the Ivy League is not a hockey conference. It's there are Ivy League schools that play hockey, uh, and they play in the ECAC. Yeah, so I think yeah. the ECAC hasn't said that they're canceling everything, um, but there's very few teams left there now because a bunch of them are from the Ivy League. So bummer. And, you know, the hits just keep on coming in 2020. Our next weekly one-timer. Speaking of COVID restrictions, scouts will not be allowed to attend Michigan home games. What's the story on this, Andy? Well, so the the Big Ten started their schedule, and a lot of the other NCAA has started. And you know, Michigan's a, a team that's got a lot of uh, high-end prospects for the 2021 draft. Uh, and so they had they had 12 scouts at their first couple home games against Arizona State this last week. But now they're being told that there will not be any scouts allowed in the building from now on. And we've talked about some of the struggles and some of the challenges scouting for the 2021 season have uh, because of COVID. And the Ivy League being out is one of them. But this is another kind of blow. You know, there, there's there's four players. There's a, what They have two A prospects, maybe three, um, that have, have a lot of eyes on them. And now they're going to have to either catch them on the road where they can or watch them on TV or film. So that definitely is a different uh, way of scouting. So it's going to be an interesting draft this this coming June or whenever it is to, to see how these guys cobble together their list with limited viewings. Indeed. And we've talked about that quite a few times as far as how, how Seattle figures that out in its first mm-hmm. entry draft. Our next weekly one-timer. Whoops. Joel Ward is expected to be hired by whom, John? The Henderson Silver Knights. Ah. The new AHL team for the Vegas Golden Knights. Sure. Okay. Good talk. Uh, And our final (laughs) weekly (laughs) one-timer. Speaking of people being hired, Brett Peters has been hired by the Panthers, the Florida Panthers, as their AGM. And uh, what is most interesting about this, John? He's believed, and I quote, quote, believed to be the first black assistant GM in the NHL. Oh, that's a big deal. That's very cool. Yeah, it's pretty big. Um, he yeah. worked at Wasserman as an agent, um, and so he's he's got the pedigree. And he actually played defense at Boston College. Awesome. Pretty big deal, right? There's a lot of barriers being broken right now, and uh, so good to see him uh, with the opportunity. And he's 
very well qualified. But yeah, you mentioned the barriers being broken, uh, not hockey related at all, but Kim Eng was named the first female general manager in baseball history this this week too. So that was uh, pretty cool and a long time coming. And I hope we see that very soon for for hockey because I think there's yes. uh, a lot of women out there that absolutely deserve the opportunity. Speaking of which, there was a list that was going around uh, about potential women to break that barrier, the, being the, G- mm-hmm. the first GM. And Seattle had two women on that list of like 10, Cami Granado and friend of the pod, Alex Mandricki. Mm-hmm. So they're obviously qualified. And, you know, I, I'm really bullish on Alex's journey. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see how she does. She's got a really big task with Seattle, and so that should be a good trophy in her case, if you will. Yes. That wraps up our weekly one-timers. Whoopsh. And we close the show as we like to do with our tweets of the week. Andy, your tweet of the week. My tweet of the week comes from Dartmouth Men's Hockey, who I feel like we've had a lot of Dartmouth hockey on the show. Yeah, yeah. In recent in recent episodes. Are they a sponsor? So Are they a sponsor and we don't even know be. it? We should be charging them. Yeah. So this, this one came out the day that the, the reverse retro jerseys came out. And they tweeted out, can't believe we have to unveil our new jersey today and overshadow all the others. Sorry for stealing your thunder, everyone. And what they did is this is a mock-up of the Avalanche Nordiques look. And they, they turned the, the logo upside down so it looks like a D. And then the, then the letters Artmouth are right next to it. So it says Dartmouth. <laughs> pretty clever. That is pretty good. I like it. Yeah. John, your tweet of the week? Uh, I've got one. Okay. And what is it? It's from this uh, account called Gritty. Uh-huh. And it's a picture of an orange shag chair, a lounge mm-hmm. chair kind almost, of thing. Yeah. And it just says, Mom? With a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Gritty. He continues to win. Uh, and my tweet of the week comes from friend of the pod, Greg Wyshynski. It says, uh, it's a retweet of all the pictures of Artemi Panarin's Esquire layout. And it says, shall we bring the ring to Mount Doom, Mr. Frodo? <laughs> yes, Sam. Let me just get my leather jacket. But you're still wearing sweatpants, Mr. Frodo. There's no time, Sam. That's good. That's good stuff from uh, at Wyshynski. You know, I said we were going to close the show with Tweets of the Week. We should also mention some games on the radar before we go, because uh, we haven't been able to do that for a while. But I don't know if you guys are aware, but my Wisconsin Badgers had a nice little sweep of Notre Dame last week, and they play against Michigan this weekend. So two big games there. Sadly, they are not going to be on TV nationally, at least that we can tell. So that's kind of a bummer. But What a bummer. Yeah. Uh, There will be a game nationally televised, a college hockey game, uh, Minnesota against Penn State on Friday, I believe, on the Big Ten Network. So um, you should be able to check that out. But uh, nonetheless, there's some good college hockey being played. Uh, Obviously... You know, you have to kind of keep an eye on the schedule and make sure things aren't being canceled. But, <laughs> but uh, there is hockey. That Michigan played. team is fun to watch. I, I caught their second game last week against. They, they dominated Arizona State two nights in a row, and they've got a lot of talent on that team. They're they're going to be one to watch. Yeah, and obviously some top picks in Wisconsin too. Wisconsin, yep. yeah, Wisconsin looked good. They were on because they were on NBC Sports Friday night, I think, because of Notre Dame. So NBC has a contract with Notre Dame, and they get some hockey games by proxy. So, uh, yeah, it was fun to watch watch hockey both games yes. i watched i watched some of that asu game as well that was man it's fun it's good fun. stuff good stuff yeah hockey is kind of happening which is which is fun uh <laughs> thank you again to Derek ryan for joining us we really appreciate it and for the calgary flames for letting us talk to him please do subscribe on itunes subscribe on stitcher subscribe on spotify leave your five-star review on itunes and we'll read it on next week's show and uh we will talk to you all next week episode 113 cheers